You're listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. If it's Thursday evening, it's Cue the Mic. Or if you're listening to us on Saturday afternoons at 2, you're listening to us on WXVU, 92.1 FM, Villanova's Campus Community Station. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Um, it's still Pride. So we have, I think I counted seven more days. I had to write that down. But this is Dr. Renee Norris Jones. That's my very probably poor British accent, but it's just to demonstrate that I don't take myself too seriously. My grandchildren finally call me Dr. Grandmother. Well, they're one in five, so I get variations of Dr. Grandmother. Um, and it has everything to do with me. I'm not even going to put that on anyone but me. And I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Yeah, I'm Sandy Smith. My day job is home and real estate editor at Philadelphia Magazine. And uh, in order to clue people who send me letters beginning, Dear Ms. Smith, my pronouns are he, him, and his. Sandy, what, what do we have on tonight? Well, let's see. This evening, um, we have a, a special guest on the show tonight, uh, Philadelphia Magazine, Daily Beast, and uh, Root columnist Ernest Owens will be joining us to discuss the recent, the recent sudden demise of Philly Pride Presents. Uh, but before we get to that, we're, we'll do our Why Pronouns Matter segment, uh, followed by a little bit of arts and culture news. Uh, then we get down to brass tacks with Ernest in political cues and news. And that's followed by our popular feature, Gay Answers to Straight Questions. And finally, our lightning round, Newsworthy or Not. Um, but first, today in queer history, June 24th is the day which, on which the New York State Legislature passed a law that made same-sex marriage legal in the Empire State. The, the Marriage Equality Act was one of the... Yeah, is one of the first state laws that legalized same-sex marriage. In several other states, such as Massachusetts, it had been done by court cases. Uh, actually, pardon me, New York became the sixth state to legalize same-sex marriage uh, with the passage of this act on June 24th, 2011. 2011, so right, so that's 10 years ago? Uh, yep, 10 yep. years to the day. Wow. Happy wow. Anniversary Marriage Equality Act in New York State. And they were the sixth state? The sixth state to legalize. 50, uh, uh, 2015 or 2014? I think it was 2015. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Okay. Let's turn it over to Ernest. Hello, everyone. My name is Ernest Owens. Um, he, him, his pronouns. And I am the editor-at-large at Philadelphia Magazine and the president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists and CEO of Ernest Media Empire, LLC. And uh, chairman of the board at PhillyCam. Yes, the new, uh, yeah, I got elected to the board of PhillyCam, yes. <laughs> Thank congratulations. you. I don't think I've had a chance to say congratulations on that yet. What, so I'm gonna ask you, Ernest, so we have a whole why pronouns matter segment. And sometimes we bring in topics from the news. Lately, I've been asking we, we talked about ourselves as hosts and I've been asking guests, what does, why, what do pronouns mean to you? And different people have different reasons. And so you, so how do you look at 
pronouns mattering? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think pronouns matter because it gives people the agency to identify themselves. I think that agency is important on all aspects of one's life. Um, whether you declare your sexual orientation, your gender expression, your gender identity, um, it's a form of agency. And I think too often in society, we take um, people's identities for granted. We assume based on what we, when we look at them, you know, what they are, what their politics are based on their age. And I think pronoun declaration is another opportunity for an individual to state claim to who they are and let everyone else know so there isn't any confusion. So I just look at it as another form of agency. Yeah, you know what? And that makes sense because my ex from a number of years ago, I didn't think her voice was that deep, but frequently she got, yes, you know, yes, sir. And she would go, I'm a woman. I'm mm -hmm. a woman. So, um, and I know other women who, and probably men do the same thing. Someone maybe with the lower register yeah, will get happens that. happens to me sometimes. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so how does that in, in, impact you outside of the LGBT community? Just as a a he, him individual when someone says, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm on the phone. I think it happens a lot clearly because I I present as male in person. Right. But when I'm on the phone, sometimes when I'm doing customer service. People will say Miss Owens or, or or something of that nature. And I'm just like, no, it's it's Mr. And they will, they'll feel uncomfortable. But, you know, hey, it's it's rather it's right to get it correct at that moment than consistently misgendering. So, um, right. you know, when I heard about people um, having these issues with they them pronouns, I automatically had empathy because of the fact that I know what it's like to be misgendered, even on a more um, subtle way, but it, it does mean something. And so it's just important just to correct people, no need to say sorry, just move on. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I have the hardest time, I also don't know my right from my left, but I have the hardest time with they them. I'm not sure because mm -hmm. I teach and I'm always looking at APA. Mm -hmm. I don't know my right from my left, but I, I, I I frequently, we talked about this last week in reference to, I have to correct myself in the moment or sometimes people I'm around will go they, they. Um, so it's a challenge yeah. for me. I'm just admitting yeah. it. Um, so I failed something. Um, we're gonna come back to Ernest and we're gonna, cause that's the bulk of our show today. But just under arts and culture, I found an article that talked about Keith Haring and Andy Warhol produce outrageous forms of art of both homosexuality and nudity. Um, and it most greatly influenced the gay underground subculture. Any comments on that, guys? Um, Andy Warhol? No, actually, this is kind of odd. Uh, and I'm looking for this in my email. But I was recently pitched a house that's on the market uh, down in Dickinson Narrows on 6th Street. Um, its owner is an art collector. Um, he had worked as some sort of manufacturer's rep, then became a flight attendant, and he's picked up things from everywhere. Um, on the wall of his bedroom, I went to visit the house because it was rather unusual. Um, on the wall of the house, uh, in his bedroom, rather, was a complete set of Andy Warhol graphics of an orgy. Wow. Um, wow. And it was a set. So how, ma how many prints were there? How many pieces were there? I think there were seven in all. I'm trying to call up the house now. Wow. 
Um, the agent told me that somehow the photographer um, had managed to blur out the images for display on the real estate search engines. Wow. Wow. I, I think I have nothing else to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and this and this is this is in Philadelphia. Yes, it is. Wow, it's on South Sixth Street. Mm. <laughs> so they oh, blurred. Yeah, I see. So, yeah, so he, the, they they just whited out the pictures. <laughs> I, I was just going to say because I I don't think the faces are kind of what's going to offend people if it's on you know real estate you know the MLS or something. I think right. the faces are the least of our or uh, of our concern. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. They just whited the pictures out. Yep. Nothing here to work with. Yep. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you for for that link. And um, one, I, we do a, a column called Q Trans Spotlight, and something that I saw on the news actually yesterday or today, it was a New Zealand weightlifter became the first transgender athlete at the Olympic Games. Well, first transgender athlete to compete in women's weightlifting. Yes, yes, yes. Weightlifter, right. So Laura Hubbard, there was some controversy because... She was in men's weightlifting, men's heavyweight to be specific. So there was some trying to get her the block. She finally got, she got rejected in May this year. Mm -hmm. And then she successfully completed competed in the men's weightlifting competition before trans right she transitioned in 2013 and, and according to the guidelines um that allowed trans transgender athletes to compete as, the, as a woman provided their testosterone levels were below 10 and they were that way for at least 12 months before the first competition 10 nanomoles per liter right right and uh, the International Weightlifting Federation, International Olympic Committee, and New Zealand Olympic Committee all confirmed that she was eligible. Right. And, and, this, and this is the heavyweight division, right? It looked like right. it. Mm -hmm. right. The interesting thing is, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, she still looks more like a man than a woman, at least in the photos. Right. Um, well, the photo, she was also lifting whatever the, I don't know how many pounds that is, but whatever the, the, the heavy ones. Yeah. The heavyweight. I'm assuming they're a couple hundred pounds or a hundred pounds or something. Um, it, I think it's kilograms and it's okay. hundred. So that'd be 220 pounds. Yeah. So pretty serious. Mm hmm So. Um, but uh, I think it will be, I, I think it will be uh, quite interesting to watch her performance. We are moving on to our main event. I think I'm thinking boxing, but it's sports. Again, we mentioned it's still pride and we have Ernest Owens here um, who wrote an article um, about Philly pride. So Ar Ernest, can you talk about that? Kind of what prompted the, the article? Yes, so um, I wrote a piece, I wrote two pieces, um, one more recently, but this month I wrote two pieces about pride. Um, basically saying that I was going to boycott Pride until there was really some serious changes. Um, Philly Pride Presents has been running the biggest Philly Pride parade for the past 28 years. 
And for many years, they have had issues with the community around some of the behavior of their management and initiatives. Um, there's been a lack of diversity and inclusion within their board representation. Um, there's been a lot of weird conduct happening from senior members, um, one of which was a Trump supporter who posted some very racist things about Michelle Obama and misogynistic wow. posts about her. Um, there was also incidents where they were doing a lot of work with the police um, at the behest of a lot of the community members of color. And there's also been recently some interesting posts that were perceived as transphobic um, that was done on their social media page that really kind of did a historical revisionist history of Stonewall that referred to um, trans women like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera as men dressed in women's clothing, quote. Wow. Um, and so a lot of this built up over time and there has been community outrage. And I just personally got to a point where I said, look, I can't support this organization or support Pride as it is under this kind of leadership, especially when the executive director has on numerous occasions said that they would step down given a lot of the demands of change in the community and they had not. Right. Um, yeah, so that was the first piece and that was um, what prompted me to write it and some of the things I discussed in that bed. And then their response to that was, uh, you, well, response, today is Thursday. Yes. And your article was Monday or Tuesday? Um, the first one came out last week, last, okay. last Wednesday. Okay. And then, and then shortly after they uh, came out with a statement um, saying that they were going to dissolve and disband um, and they were not going to be doing their Pride Light uh, celebration that was initially going to be in June for Pride Month because of the pandemic. They rescheduled September, but they canceled their Pride Parade this year and they as an organization disbanded and dissolved. Wow. All kind of in, in a day, I'm assuming. Yeah, it happened days after, actually. It was last, I think I wrote the op-ed last Tuesday and then Thursday we find out that they dissolved and it became public this week. Right, because I, I was reading the article and I saw the link, and when I and I heard that they dissolved, but when I clicked the link, it went to to, to nowhere land Facebook. Like there's just nothing mm -hmm. there. Yeah, their um, their whole uh, Facebook page have been deactivated. They've scrubbed a lot of content off of their official website. Um, information about the organization, the board, um, the the 2021 information they originally had, um, trying to build up momentum. It just it just collapsed um, quickly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that one of the things that I it caught me is that it was kind of like you know you blew you, you breathed on Philly Pride presents and it collapsed like a house of cards. I still right. find this rather astonishing, um, especially given that there had been years of controversy surrounding you know what the what organizers had done. I mean you know another thing that stuck in many people's throat and you mentioned this in your follow-up column is that you had to pay to get to the festival. Correct. I remember that, yeah. But you yeah. had to pay to enter the festival. You know, so there's several things and I'm wondering, do you have any explanation, speculation as to why they just like folded so quickly after this? Well, I know now from sources um, that there were many, based off of my op-ed and some of the community outrage that there were many, um, LGBTQ nonprofits and organizations that were preparing a joint statement 
um, condemning a lot of the behavior they saw on Philly Pride Presents. And a lot of people were about to come out and speak out against um, the behavior. And what's interesting is that, you know, I'm no longer the LGBTQ editor for Philly Mag. I'm now the editor at large. And I have taken a backseat on the general day-to-day -day LGBTQ coverage. But what was interesting to me is that this, these incidents and these social media posts, some of them were happening as early as Memorial Day weekend. Right. And there was no coverage in the community talking about it, even though there were lots of people on social media groups, on Facebook groups, criticizing this and sharing it. But no one in the larger media ecosystem was covering it. PGN was not covering it, um, any of the other outlets and groups. And so people started to come to me and my DMs and say, Ernest, you know, I know you're not the LGBTQ editor anymore, but can you, you know, write about this or talk about it because it's a real issue. And looking at the vast number of people who just did not say anything about it, um, even though this was something that was being talked about and shared amongst the community, you know, I felt like, hey, this is something to write about in my column. And I did. And then the moment I did, Philly Pride Presents dissolves. And now this week, the story has been on um, Fox 29. It's been on CBS 3. It's been picked up by the Inquirer. PGN finally wrote about it. And everyone wants to talk about it. Right. I and, actually saw it on the news yeah. last night, the 11 yeah. o'clock news. Um, right. And I think it was going off or something. And I just walked in the room and I'm going, really? So I reached out to my, um, we had to change some stuff around the studio. I reached out to the station manager. He's like, yeah, I heard that. I heard, I heard the same thing too. So it was like, all right, that's what we're covering tonight. But yeah, he, he said he heard it. But before then I hadn't heard anything at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. not on Facebook to even know. I like to, a lot of things pass by. It's not on the the traditional, and I'm not always on Facebook. But um, it, it was just a snippet, and from the snippet, um, it didn't get into the things you talked about, the things Sandy mm -hmm. talked about. It was very surface and very generic. And maybe I missed the first part, but it just shows the reaction to not having a pride parade. Mm. Well, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're getting your information off of uh, a TV, you know, local TV newscast, you're not going to get an in-depth treatment of anything. Right. Um, the, the, time, the, the, the time constraints and the format both work against that. You know, uh, I would love to see what, if anything, WHYY does with this story if somebody decides to report on it, you know. Um, that might be the one mainstream media outlet where I think it might get an in-depth look. Question hmm. is, is anybody over there looking? Right, mm -hmm. right, right. So where does that leave us now? So you wrote the article, they dissolved, poof. And then we talked about the follow-up article. Did we discuss that? No, so the follow-up article is basically saying, hey, this is an opportunity for us to create the pride that we deserve. Mm -hmm. And I'm arguing for a more um, less uh, decentralization of pride as we know it. Um, I think that the way that pride has been around, it's been very, um, you know, it must, be, it must be decentralized. You know, I believe that giving the most senior and wealthy white members of the community undue influence over the city's largest pride parade is how we now I have nothing, you know? A lot of the leadership issues come from the system and the structure. You know, I think that pride is too nuanced and diverse for such a homogeneous top-down leadership structure. 
Um, I think it should be more of a patchwork, neighborhood-led, community-tailored, so that it can accommodate the relevant experiences and tastes of different groups. Um, right. It's kind of like how we do German, like how we do Juneteenth this weekend. Germantown had their own Juneteenth, you know, festivities. My fiance, he was there, and he had like a little. He has a company called Bartender Berry, and he was setting up doing his own thing. And then I was in West Philly at Malcolm X Park the same Saturday, and it was its own Juneteenth event. And I think that the way the community is, we have an LGBTQI plus community. There's so many different flavors and styles and interests. And I think that it would be great to see, you know, various festivals and gatherings and things happen all throughout the month that one lets different people um, connect and network, but keep the energy going and also account for the unique styles of different folks. Because trying to make this one monolithic pride parade has never really felt as inclusive as it could and should. And there's always so much other capitalism and corporate interests and other, you know, things like pink washing and rainbow capitalism that takes place that excludes people. Like if you had a neighborhood, let's say Germantown had their own pride event in the Northwest and there was this community of people that came together and had their own flavor with their own vendors and leaders, would it be nice to celebrate more local homegrown talent in that area? And then if people really like Germantown in the area, you don't even have to be from Germantown to go. You could just say, look, I'm just gonna go to the festival and show love. But like West Philly would do its own thing with its own vendors, its own situation that I feel like is more local and has its own flair. And also too, it doesn't feel like people get FOMO because if other smaller events were happening throughout the month. In, in case, I'm sorry, so they don't get what? FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, it's, a, it's an acronym. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yeah, so they don't get fear of missing out. Um, that Pride, you know, Pride weekend is like that one weekend, that's it. And I feel like if you had all these different events, it will allow people to, you know, be able to go to different things and have flavor. Um, Juneteenth was like that, you know, like I said, this year in Philly, there was John Teeth, which was done by Black Lives Matter that was last Friday. And then Malcolm X Park did their own thing the next Saturday. And then during the same time, Germantown Avenue had their own. So there was just something to do across. And I feel like we could do that with pride. We don't have to make it one big weekend or one big day. We can just spread it out all month long. I think there is something to be said for that approach. And I do note that, you know, in the vacuum left by the absence of this year's parade and festival, there were a bunch of what you might call more ad hoc pop-up efforts to observe and celebrate pride. You know, um, I know there was a local publicist who I think you know too, who kind of like spread the word about them but they yeah. were kind of like, you know, um, well, gee, this is a good idea. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, and I think this might present an opportunity for queer people in the various parts of the city to, you know, let their neighbors know they're there too, you know, because we still have the issue of visibility, even after all these years, you know, um, I mean, I know this is not the case in Germantown. Um, we have a rainbow fish on the sign outside First Presbyterian, but um, there are neighborhoods probably where you could still find people, well, actually, come to think of it, um, a school teacher I know lives in Mount Airy, uh, recently showed up at a Wawa near him. I think it's the one on Germantown and Allen's Lane. 
Mm-hmm. And he was wearing his rainbow flag mask over his mouth. Um, he doesn't have the Philly flag mask yet. I'll have to get him one. Um, but he said the clerk at the Wawa then said, hey, you better be careful with that. You don't want people thinking you're gay. Mm. Wow. Um, and this is in famously tolerant Mount Airy, remember? Right, right. So there's definitely room for that. And I think it would be, you know, a, a, a good thing. Um, my one thing is I don't think I necessarily want to like read out the business community. Um, you know, it may be symbolic, it may be performative, but I think it beats the alternative when you have companies saying, yeah, we value gay people. We value their contributions. We, you know, want them to be part of our business and so on and so forth. I don't think that has to be done in like, you know, necessarily a parade float, but it could be done via informational tables, say. Right. And, and even in that, um, some of the comments that I've heard over time is, you know, you have these big corporations who are, who are, you know, they have their floats, but what happens when it goes away? You know, they're not there. So it makes me think of domestic violence. I'm a domestic violence survivor. So I just happen to know some large companies like TJ Maxx and Marshalls are huge supporters of domestic violence. There's a couple other companies that are huge supporters of domestic violence. You know, when you go to their website, it's there. So if they're going to advertise like that, then maybe they donate money to cities, whether it's the Pride Parade or the local organization for Pride in that city or town, but to show more than just we're here for advertising of our products. That's all. We're not interacting. We're not doing anything, mm-hmm. um, but but to somehow engage um, or and or contribute something to the community, be involved when the, when the, when the community on the ground. I agree. I think one of the things that's going to really be important is seeing people um, get used to not having this archaic notion of a hierarchy structure around pride. I think that's going to be the real challenge, is seeing people not feel like there has to be this president and executive of this organization, that the hands of our pride was in the hands of a small board. I just hate that. Like, pride is such a rebellious liberating experience and it's felt like it's been enclosed and entrapped by only a group of people in the city and that was it and i just really love that there is some opportunity to have a looser structure that i think is going to benefit more local community um, involvement we're going to see more diversity and we're also going to take it out of center city i kind of hate the fact that everything is in center city philadelphia has an eclectic queer community that is all over the city. And we know about it. Like when I was the LGBTQ editor at Philly Mag, I used to do events, LGBTQ events. Um, used to be events of the week. And I would do a lineup of like all these events that was happening in Philadelphia that were LGBTQ. And I will tell you that many of them were not in the neighborhood. They were all over the city. And to me, I've always said to myself, hmm, why isn't our pride like that? Because every time it was pride month, the bulk of the events would always be centered in Center City. But I know that there's a group of people that's doing something in South Philly. They're doing a thing called South Philly Pride this year that I'm hearing about. Um, Corey Aversa, he you know has Corey Aversa the PR. He's been pushing um, some initiatives. He has a website called phillygaypride.org that he's kind of taken under his wing. Uh, I think it's called Philly Gay Pride Month, but 
affiliatedcrowd.org, but he, it's on the website. Um, and he has a list of events happening all throughout the city. Um, and I just feel like probably needs to be more monthly. And if it's a month, it needs to be, it needs to feel like a month. You know, there needs to just be stuff going on all throughout the year. Right. Uh, I mean, all throughout the month. And, right. you know, not just one major little thing. So a cu couple of points on that. And Philadelphia is the city of neighborhoods. Um, somewhere I yeah. think we're in a Guinness World Book or whatever, having the so, so many neighborhoods. So I like the idea of having private private ones. But in Philly, some of us are just in our neighborhoods. So many people are just in our neighborhoods. I would like to see something at the end coming together with all the neighborhoods. Okay. Yeah. But, and, and maybe that's the large event, okay? Whether it's on Penn's Landing, the Parkway, doesn't, it, it can be in Fairmont Park, but something coming together, all those neighborhoods. So was the organization that shut down at a moment's notice, I'm assuming that was a private organization? Um, no, they were a nonprofit. Really? Yeah, they were a 501c3, shockingly. Um, I'm not even sure on so many levels, is that possible? And then the board? Actually, that's one of the things that's always puzzled me. It's yeah. always been a question. Who's How do they do with the board of this organization? The board has been very invisible. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think the the board should be representative of all of those neighborhoods. You know, if the board should be representative, oh. making sure we have someone from various ne in neighborhoods and folks within the LGBTQI IQ you were saying community. I, I I talked really fast. Um, but it should be representative. No one should be able to say there's no one on there that doesn't represent me. Of course, you need all the qualities that any board have, someone in marketing, someone in accounting, all of that. But I would just like to see it run. So in that case, a proper.org, you lose your president or your board, the organization continues. The functions right. continues because it's not a one-man show. Correct. Well, this has been a one-person show um, for the longest historically. Um, you know, Franny Price is the executive director. She's been there for 28 years. Mm -hmm. And each time she said she was going to step down, she didn't. And that kind of held up a lot of the creativity and the new visions and the new ideas that people had. Um, I want to be very clear to people that it is very unfortunate that Philly Pride presents as an institution dissolved. But sadly, it's not because if it was going to remain under the same leadership, this is what happens when you don't create systems of uh, transition. You don't create um, organizational, institutional knowledge that can be passed down. This is what happens when people stay in positions outside of their welcome. This is what happens when you don't, you know, uh, mentor and build because there should have been a pathway and a pipeline to keep this going. Right. And so I think that this is a failure of our community not stepping in enough and holding each other accountable to making sure. We've seen so many nonprofits in Philadelphia collapse, not because they weren't good or their purpose was not necessary, but because of the fact that there were several people who would not get out of the way. They would not open a door for someone else, would not mentor, would not create a succession plan. There's right. no succession plan um, planning in a lot of our communities. This is communities of color and LGBTQI organizations that I've seen just not work because there's no succession plan. And we need to do that more in our community with nonprofits so that we don't have to keep having a rebirth every so often, right? right. 
so much institutional knowledge, relationships, partnerships, um, details, information is now lost because they just said, you know what, we're just going to be done with it. Rather than say, what what I would have liked to see is people step down and bring people up. Right. Instead, they just killed the whole thing. Right. And 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 a lot of boards have that where after you've been on there for so long, um, it's time to move on. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's to make sure you don't get stuck yeah. with, you know, this is the way we've always done things, which is just just that statement alone. But it needs to be so currently at Women Against Abuse, our board director, board director, our president recently stepped down to, you know, go on with her life in another way. We're still functioning. Our shelters are still open. You know what I'm saying? I'm on the committee. We have a research company that we hired, you know, for the executive director. I'm on that committee. Other folks on that committee, we're still functioning. You know what I'm saying? The board is still functioning. The operations every every day is still functioning. So it sounds like the board had some serious internal problems. But I but as to follow up with you what you were saying, Ernest, this the disaster will turn into an opportunity for growth. Yeah. Um, as to your point about bringing something from across, you know, having, still having an event that brings people from all over the city together, I do think that the other main event that Philly Pride Presents organized could serve as a foundation for that, and that's Outfest. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 I see I see you and I hear you, Ernest, but uh, let, me, let me explain. Um, I've always maintained that we don't do parades worth bleep. We do block parties. You know, our parades from Thanksgiving on down all tend to be, you know, underpowered to what they could be. And that includes the pride parade. But our block parties rock. Um, People here love them. They're a Philly institution. They are part of the soul of the city. And they tend to bring people together. Uh, Outfest was a huge block party, and it tended to emphasize, you know, the various organizations that made up the community. Um, I think that we could probably refine it, you know, put it in the hands of a board that is representative of the whole city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, refresh it as that sort of celebration. What say you? I don't know. I, I think I think that's fine. I just think that one of the things that I think Outfest is its own thing that can get revisited another time. Um, I think more people really focus on pride as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, Outfest was, a, was, I preferred Outfest more than I preferred the Pride event, to be honest. I think one because it was free and accessible, um, and I also felt like it was more gay. I thought it was more queer. I thought it was more of us there. I felt like Pride got so convoluted with all these people trying to sell stuff to us. Mm-hmm. And Outfest, it didn't feel like that. I mean, it felt like it was more of an in community. It was maybe because it was deep in. It was in the neighborhood. Yes. And also, I just felt like it was just more for us. I feel like Pride has been exploited in a way where it seems like we are like Broadway and we're giving everyone else a taste of the community versus I felt like Outfest was for the community, by the community. Mm. And I feel like Pride has always mm-hmm. felt like it was something that was by the community before everybody else. It was like, right. come here and see what we're doing and here's how right. we live. 
Right. And Outfest felt like it was like, if you know, you know. It's like this is Nashville coming out back. This is this is us, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I would love to see Outfest that model be applied to different parts of Philly. I think we could pull it off in West Philly. I think we could definitely pull it off in Germantown. Um, I could think we could do it in, in, in Northern Liberties. I think there's parts where we could do this. And we also have enough citywide support. We have LGBTQIA um, allies and legislators that would love to roll up to multiple cities and in multiple parts of the, the city and show out and show out to voters and constituents. I would be, right. I would not be surprised that district council people would not want that do that in their district. And then think about the economic impact across the board right. because so much money goes into center city. If we want to talk about this on an economic scale, I would love to see local businesses in various parts of the city be supported and have these resources because right now, when you know pride is an economic um, money raiser for the city. Mm-hmm. And, and especially for Center City, that Penn's Landing, those people stay at those restaurants and go to those hotels. But what if we was really doing more neighbor, local, regional things? What would it do to pump up the economy across the board? I just really think we're underestimating the 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 the, the benefit of the sporadicness of it. So, right, right. And that's why I'm, I'm already envisioning kind of a board for, mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether it's just pride, but my brain is going yeah. to is going to the business yeah. side where having someone from the neighborhoods on that board because we want right. to make sure. So I'm a survivor sitting on the board. I have other skills that I bring to the board of women against abuse, but there were two. Now there's one person. So oftentimes right. I have to say, okay, nope, that's not how it works. That's not how this rolls. Right now I'm working to make sure that the board all go through the 45 hour domestic violence training because you really need to know what goes on and what this looks like to serve on the board. That's that's my two two cents and that that's my opinion on that but you need to know it needs to represent us when i heard you when you said it needs to be for us by by us for us not for everyone else so i think to have these these events around the city each neighborhood's going to be able to contribute to what that looks like and to how are we going to bring this together as one event not sure where but one event that's free and if the city's getting money, then we can get some funding. Should we be able to get some, some funding from that? But how can we bring this together as one event with all of these pieces into one giant festival or one, or one giant parade, whether it's in the neighborhood or something else? But I think the separate ones and then coming together, and I think that's what unity is. You know what I'm saying? Well, unity is coming yeah. together. Right, so um, so I, I think it needs a a board that's going to function like a, well, we, we know that all, all boards are not functional, but it's going to, that's right. it's, it's going <laughs> to, it's going, so we don't just want a board. We want a functional board. You know what I'm saying? We want to make sure that people on there are bringing the skills, the folks and leadership in that there's, there's no, it's not heavy. It's, it's legal. I, I served on the board for, hmm, can't think of what it's anti-death penalty and a, and a large portion of their board members were folks who were exonerated. From death row. Heard come to mind in my head when I'm thinking about what form this organization might want to or should take. And those are Congress and convention. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I'm thinking like, you know, maybe you might consider this in an inapt me- analogy, 
given what I'm about to use as a metaphor, but the largest Protestant denomination in the United States is the Southern Baptist Convention. And the way that organization is governed is that the churches choose their leader. You know, they come together in a meeting and they pick, you know, they pick from many candidates who are heads of congregations. It's a bottom-up structure. And I think that whatever we have here should also be bottom-up. Um, I'm and, liking that. You know, and this is where maybe rather than a convention, a Congress would come in. Um, you know, we have existing groups in neighborhoods all over that perform various functions. Uh, some of them are specifically focused on the gay community. Some of them are, you know, that happens to be uh, ancillary to what they do, but they take it seriously. You know, let's have each of them name some people that they would like to see on a board you know, or on a, on a Congress that would coordinate, you know, uh, pride activities across the city. Right, so I'm liking that. And what I'm hearing is another leg that we didn't talk, another arm that we didn't talk about was instead of just, first of all, I love it, choosing the leader, the neighborhood, that community chooses their leader because then it's not, it's not top heavy because the moment that person becomes self-serving and whatever, it's time for them to go. We're going to vote you off and the neighbors, the, the community is going to choose someone else to represent. Maybe it's a rotating something. And I think not just the neighborhoods, but the same thing with um, domestic violence. You know, that's kind of, it's, it's my life's work that the religious community has there, and I'm agnostic, so don't want to offend anyone, but they have yeah. their own um, folks who support and are in their religion. You know what I'm saying? Um, the, what was it? We talked about it briefly last week where Biden was pretty much the Catholic church because he wasn't for abortion or something. Oh, right, right. Right, right. right. Threatening to deny communion to uh, President Biden because he was, you know, not anti-abortion, you know, and I it, just on that a minute since we did have that, I think Pope Francis had it exactly right when he responded to this by saying that communion is not a litmus test of virtue. It is a sacrament offered to sinners and we are all sinners. Right. <laughs> uh, right, so I just think there's so many other voices that can be a part of the board, part of the organization to make sure that we're targeting them, that we're kind of hitting everyone. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm brainstorming as, as I'm sitting here making notes, but I think that, and I'm liking the choose your leader, I'm liking the, you know, whether it's a religious group, um, and there's probably other groups that want to make sure that they're represented in there, you know, whether it's just diversity with yeah. um, cultures yeah. and, yeah, I think that could be a structured way. I mean, I know there are some conversations happening amongst activist communities uh, around this. Um, I know there's one happening like soon. There's groups, this is already starting the conversations now. I think things will eventually, you know, the first, I think the first couple of years, it's going to be an experiment. Like, I want to see what's going to happen in September. I know there are people organizing and do something in September. I'm just trying to just see where all of the new, uh, what will come, what will come. You know, it, it just, I mean, I, I fear, and this is my only fear, is that there will be another big juggernaut that will come and try to 
you know, some industry national group from maybe someone from New York or LA or somebody's going to try to come in and just drop another big old pride thing on us. And people will just run to it because it's the new flashy thing without really inspecting it. You know, I just feel like this isn't a vacancy to feel. I don't want people to feel like, okay, Philly Proverbs is gone, so we need to recreate that again. I don't think we should recreate the problem we've already had already. I think we right. need to just do something completely different. Mm-hmm. And it's an opportunity to, I mean, how many people, how many cities can say that they get in this day and age an opportunity to start anew? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else is trying to re remix and reinvent the current wheel they have. We got a whole clean slate. Right. And right. we can start this the right way, do this the right way, the right the first time, or the we get a second chance to do it differently. Right. I mean, it's I, I think the other part from a business point of view is how do you just dissolve? How do how do you just you're not around anymore? It's cowardice. Not, I understand that. Cowardice. 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 Yeah. You know, people are very much, um, you know, they're cowards. They are they're very much so um, scared of accountability. And that's what happened here, is that when there was a chance to call someone to government, because what in a, an idealistic situation, idealistically would have been, Philly Pride Presents would have actually addressed the real elephants in the room. They would have actually, you know, talked to the press. They would have put out a more thorough statement. Um, they would have literally said, listen, you know, here what, here's what we're gonna do. You know what's sad is that they never actually apologized um, in, in, in full, in fullness, meaning they didn't really tell us, okay, they had more excuses amongst us excuses. They didn't <laughs> actually take a step back and say, Hey, these are the things we did wrong. And here's why. And here's what we did. And here's the things that happened. And we're going to do, and as a response to those things we did wrong, here are the ways we're going to do better. They didn't do that. Or, or at the very least, or at the very least, Say here is our letter of resignation, if you will, kind of, you know, yeah. we're going to dissolve after many no, years or whatever debate, just just something, you know, you see that with a lot of industries or whatever it is, but something that says, you know, we have enough respect for you to say goodbye. It's kind of like being in a room, uh, you know, a small gathering, you get up and leave and you don't say anyone, tell anyone goodbye. Right. Um, right. This organization has been around for 28 years. And 28 years, and this is the best the community can get after 28 years. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, Sandy is giving me the time. So I am watching that. I was just thinking about the time. I'm going to transition a little bit, but this still stays on this topic. Um, One of the things that we had scheduled to talk about today, and it kind of talks to your, it, it speaks to your article a little bit. One of the things we were going to talk about and a little bit of chatter that we've been hearing is, do cops belong at pride parades? Hmm. Um, My answer? Yes, yes. No. Okay. But I also think, to be clear, my argument for having a more decentralized pride can make that more of a reality than what we, what we was having in the past. It was nearly impossible to have a big pride event like we had without police presence. But if we're having more niche community type of gatherings, the heavy level of a police presence would not be there um, in the same way. You know, when I went to the Juneteenth event, 
Um, and when I saw some of the events that was happening with Black Lives Matter, it was not that many police. I mean, there were some that were just in the area, but they were not front and center all in the mix. Right, right, right. I also right. think that because it was smaller, it wasn't all of that. Right. And so I think that it's possible to, to not have a police presence like that at Pride when you decentralize it. Because if you have one big, huge event and you got our allies who don't right. understand the history of Pride or don't understand the flow, it's going to be hard to justify the reality of not having police because they're going to say it's a liability, right? Right. You know, after the poll, the, um, I remember in 2016, five years ago, when the post nightclub shootings happened, I remember everyone was on edge that Sunday. And it was, Philly's Pride was immediately um, the next morning, like right, right. I think that morning I woke up and saw the messages and then was like, ooh, should I go to Pride? Should I not? And this was the first year I was the LGBTQ editor. And I was like, this is my first time covering Pride in this position. And it's like, ooh. And I remember people was really scared. And there was a heavy police presence. And so ever since then, there has been this, you know, and then plus Trump getting elected, there was another oh my goodness, yeah. desire mm. for there to be this safety. And, you know, sadly, a lot of the conversations around police abolition and reform has kind of gotten caught up in that conversation around the fear mongering that takes place around posts, around you know the rise of Trumpism, and 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 encounter each other because two things are happening and we know right. they're to be true, and it's hard to try to sell that message to the larger community, especially those who aren't black and brown, those who are much older um, than the current generation that really is asking for more police accountability. It's it's a hard it's a hard you know, conversation. Right. Um, so, uh, right. So, I mean, and so I'm hearing you. I, so I, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. I spent some years, time in the years, you know, other places, but I'm from Philadelphia. So I'm used to Unity Day and all these big events. There was something else that used to be on a Sunday. You knew the police were there. You just had to step out of whatever the outskirts, you know, I lost my kid or whatever. And there was, there was police around, but they weren't in the in the middle, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't that kind of presence. So I, I personally don't have a problem with having security there. Um, I think and, there's actually two or three different issues here. And right. I, I, I'm sort of like on your page in the songbook on Sullivan Ernest and off it on others. Um, one does have to do with the notion, you know, yes, we do need to acknowledge that you know, the whole gay liberation, gay rights movement began with a protest against police treatment of gays and lesbians. Okay. Mm -hmm. We need to acknowledge that. We need to, you know, recognize that and understand that that makes the police sort of problematic as a central feature. Yet I also think we do need to encourage those police, those people who choose a police career and want to work from within to make police departments more responsive, more reflective, more you know, uh, supportive of the communities they are supposed to serve and protect. I will leave for another discussion whether they actually do that. Right, so, right, and then that takes me to, and I know we're up against time, that takes me to, I'm going to bring up Women Against Abuse again. We train at the police academy because, and I've been at events. I've been spokesperson for them for a long time. I've heard 
at events, you know, a police officers there, or I've just heard them say some things and I'm looking going, really? I think you don't know, who we, I don't think you know I'm a survivor advocate, you know? So I think, but that's smart. That means everybody, but we, we teach at the academy. We train at the academy so folks know kind of here's what domestic violence looks like. So I think something like that to, to do it in. So what about if, if the police are folks who are openly gay in the police department or elite allies? I just feel like the issue, no, but I just feel like we're missing a point, a larger point. Okay. And I think part of it is, is that police do not, I mean, if you are off duty and you are just there as a civilian, come, come to pride. But I feel like coming in that uniform with that gun, with that badge, um, with these institutional problems that you should be addressing with or without an invitation to pride or not, you should be doing this regardless. And it's it, to me, I feel like sometimes we use this ally word in a sense that it's almost like an obligation when it doesn't have to be. People need to right. be good people and do the right thing with or without a golden star or a pat on the back or a thumbs up. And I feel like officers need to respect LGBTQ community members without necessarily feeling like they have to be um, centered in pride. I just think that needs to change. Well, or is it, 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 as we're running out of time, it sounds like you need to come back and we need to have an extended conversation about this because the conversation just has so many arms and legs, you know, in reference around pride and in reference to the police and kind of what's going on in the in the Philadelphia gay community in reference to having a pride event. The good thing here is that we needed to have this conversation mm -hmm. and you've gotten it started. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm happy that we saw swift, swift change because in the past I have advocated about things and it takes months and a year and so many other things had to happen. And it's interesting that during the pandemic, the power of the pen was mightier than the sword. So it was happy to see that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to throw in a little trivial item before we get go to uh, gas queue, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I mentioned. And I hope maybe we will see this on the market Frankfurt line next year. But um, if you can call, click on that item off next city in the chat, uh, listeners at home, you can find this on the next city website, nextcity.org. It's my weekly column on transportation. But this year marks the fifth year that the Chicago Transit Authority has done up a four car train set in pride colors. Um, they call it Ride with Pride. And each year they put a train out on the red line, which is the line that happens to serve Chicago's neighborhood. This year their train has both the transgender pride flag and the Philly pride flag, which they identify as such, uh, the eight color rainbow. Um, it looks really sharp. And it would seem to me only fitting that the city where it originated that its transit authority could and should do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, Sandy, before we wrap up, how much time do we have left? We have three minutes. Okay. Our last segment, we're gonna skip over newsworthy or not, but our one of our segments that's a, um, uh, it's a favorite, it's called Gas Q. Gay answers to straight questions. Straight questions. So because there are no stupid questions, only stupid people. Ernest, 
can you contribute with a, a gay answer to a straight question? So what okay. what is the question that you have been asking in life and you just go, ugh? Oh, um, say that again, that last part. <laughs> so it's gay answers to straight questions. So what we're asking is, what is probably the most ridiculous question that you were asked about as far as being a gay man? Sort of the oh, clues for the clueless. Oh, yes. Um, when I'm asked, who's the girl in a relationship? Oh, okay. Ah! <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, I don't know. I'm a guy. He's a guy. Like, what are you talking about? Are you blind, always, maybe? And every time I do it, they always try to find a way to, but but there's got to be. And I'm like, it, it, but it's not. Right. <laughs> it's like right. a force like they in their head they can't come to terms with it. You know, right. they really, when I say same gender, they're still trying to create and mentalize a different gender. Right. You know, right. It's, it's same gender. They want to That's always been one of thing that gets annoying. Like, now that I'm married, I'm getting married. I mean, getting married um, later this year. I'm always getting the question of, well, so like, is there a bride and a groom? Like, who's more of the groom? Like, it's two grooms. They're like, <laughs> well, like, who's more of a bride? Like, how? Well, well, who's getting walked out by their father? I'm like, neither of us. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, it's just dumb questions. Like, right, that, you know? right. And so there's people who just cannot let go of. Um, you know, the old stereotypical binary gender roles. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So that is it. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming on, especially on such short notice. Um, I was glad when Sandy said he was going to reach out to you when you agreed. This is an important topic. We have to keep it going. And please keep us. I really want to know kind of what's happening with a new organization, a new board or something to represent Philly and not just in the pride, but for as, as far as the LGBT community. I think that that's a great idea and definitely want to know more about that. So we can, you can find us on iTunes, Podomatic, Podomatic Google Play, okay. Spotify, Alexa. I have to say it slow because she's always listening. Thank you so much, Ernest. Um, and you know, you. And, and, and where can people find you? Um, they can find me on, they, if you just Google me, you'll find everything. But my website is ErnestOwens.com. Um, that typically is a place where you can find all of my information and my, like my latest information, my social media handles and everything. Um, ErnestOwens.com, my, my website. Fabulous. I, I did see that on Facebook when I, when I was pulling up your information. Sandy, can you take us home? I sure can. You have been listening to Cue the Mic on Germantown Community Radio 92.9 FM, WGGTLP Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com, and on Saturday afternoons at 2 p.m. on WXVU 89.1 FM, Villanova's Campus Community Radio Station. Good night, everyone. Good afternoon, and see you next week.